0: Flamestock with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The
1: Fan. All right, let's get this hour going. It is Tuesday, November 14th. Steinberg along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's kick off the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV 5922 gun safe. Now just fourteen fifty or explore the full line of safes at copylockandsafe.com. We've got a busy hour for you. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've got lots to talk about on this Tuesday. And as we kick it off, let's talk about another distraction for the Calgary Flames, another trade request for the Calgary Flames. It's time to bring in our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli, brought to you by South trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SelfTrailExports.com. And uh, just about ready to jet off for Stockholm, Sweden, via Newark, New Jersey, out of Pearson International. Frank joins us now from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Hello, Frank.
0: Mr. Steinberg, you, you almost got my travel itinerary out there. It's good. Anyone that wants to stalk me in the airport, you can find me now.
1: Well, I mean, most of the people listening would be listening on delay, so they'd be stalking you too late. So I think you're safe. Hey,
0: I'm not kidding. I had a guy today as I was walking in downtown Toronto stop me on the street and say, hey, I listen to you on Calgary radio every week. Really? Like, yeah. I'm like, boom, that's it. That's there awesome.
1: you go. Well, hey the power it's the power of what we do that's what that's what i like to hear um and you're off to uh, stockholm for the nhl global series which is very very cool which we will get to but we got we got to start with what the heck is going on in in this market it's another distraction for the flames like going back to late june when stuff started hitting the fan to where we are now with injuries and suspensions and a bad start to the season and then friday night following a 5-4 shootout loss to the toronto maple leafs Dan Milstein just adds another match on this fire with a trade request leaked to Kevin Weeks for Nikita Zdorov. Uh Now here we are the following Tuesday. What, what do we know? What do we make of Zadorov's trade request?
0: Uh, probably not much because for one, um, the Calgary Flames are going to move at their own pace. They're yep. not going to be strong-armed by anyone. And two... I think it's been pretty quiet the last few days. I think maybe even the flames were thinking that things would pick up and that, you know, the, you know, the phone might start to ring a bit more and people would start to, you know, check in more on the defensemen that are, um, you know, available or uh, certainly likely to be moved before the March 8th trade deadline. And that just hasn't happened to my knowledge. And I think they're kind of in a holding pattern of look, um, probably created some ripples that didn't need to be made. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to have to sit tight.
1: What was the, like, what, what is the desire or what is the, uh, I I guess most desirable outcome when you go public with a trade request like this? Like what, why would Dan Milstein take that tact to try to get to where he wants his client to go?
0: It's a really good question because I think it was poorly handled. The flames essentially found out about the trade request on social media, which is never really what you want. And I think more than that, you asked about desired effect. The thing is, it actually becomes more difficult now to pull a trade off because people understand that you have a player who is unhappy and would like to move on. And teams are now calling, and whatever the conversation might have been, they're trying to offer less because they're trying to get him off your hands and out of there. And that's not what the Flames are interested in doing. They'll wait right up until 3 p.m. on uh, March 8th in order to get what they feel is the best value package possible for Zadaroff, but not just him, also everyone else, including you know the other defensemen and the pending UFAs on this team that um, they're going to try and extract value for. So um, it it has sort of the opposite of the desired effect. And I think what really bothers people, uh, not saying the Flames specifically, but it would have to rankle teammates and everyone else, is you do that in a city where you just scored a goal. You really want to go there and, and get reunited with Brad Living, And you do that at a time when Maple Leaf fans are frothing at the mouth because their defensive zone play has been no good and they feel like Zadarov might be one of those guys that could come in and and help boost that. So all the way around, uh, I think this was pretty short-sighted, and I think there's lots better ways to handle your business.
1: Well, and, and the the whole idea of, okay, that's great. It's a public trade request, but you almost see so your point because because it makes it more difficult to move them. If you're Craig Conroy, you almost have to be even more deliberate and and – go out of your way to slow play this even more so that you can try to wrestle some of your leverage back. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, requests are great. Like I want to be 178 pounds and I want to make 2.4 million next year. And I want, you know, X, Y, and Z. like, it doesn't matter. Um, You can request all you want. He doesn't have any leverage. And the thing that's only really going to create leverage is something we talked about a while ago. Um, when it comes to the Flames and how this season might play out is there's a mutual benefit here between player and team of having pending unrestricted free agents. If you play well, you're going to have more interest in you. And if Nikita Zadaroff plays better, he's going to have more interest. And there's going to be teams willing to pay more of a price to get him. So um, this is a, a mutual problem with a mutual solution Um, and until then, you know, the flames are just going to sit and wait.
1: Yep. Terms of, uh, landing spot and, and realistic return specifically on Zadorov. I guess it's kind of early if they're going to slow play it, but any, anything that that crosses your mind when talking about where he could end up if they trade him and what they could get in return.
0: Yeah. I I also really loved the subtlety of the agent too, (laughs) because all of a sudden in different, uh, in different markets around the league, you're seeing it pop up. Uh, well, sources close to Nikita Zadarov say that he would be uh, willing to go to New Jersey. Sources close to Nikita Zadarov say he'd be willing to go to Toronto. Sources close to Nikita Zadarov say he'd be willing to go to Vancouver. Okay. Uh, <laughs> not exactly hard to pinpoint. Not subtle. Sources <laughs> close to are. Um the whole thing was a little bit on the nose. And then I think there was some talk the next day and I, I kind of forget what was said publicly and what wasn't, but that he sort of presented it to his teammates as I didn't know anything about this. This wasn't my doing. And I guess that's what you always say, but everyone else kind of looks at you, I think in the room and is like, we we're all in this together first off. And second, like, like how could you be so selfish? Um, playing in the uh, self-described center of the hockey universe to just drop a little bomb on your way out.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the, uh, that's the Nikita story as uh, that was something that caught the flames and everybody else off guard on Friday. And uh, believe me, it's been the story all through the weekend and, and even on Monday. So he'll play Tuesday against Montreal. So that's what's happening in one major Alberta city. We're talking to Frank Saravalli, our daily face-off NHL insider, joins us Tuesdays on Flames Talk. Then there's the other major Alberta city where hockey is uh, as in turmoil as it is here, and that's in Edmonton. Uh, And Jay Woodcroft did indeed get the axe, gets fired over the weekend, and uh, it's Chris Knobloch who comes in and takes over, wins his first game on Monday night against the New York Islanders. Just now that you've had a little bit of time to digest how we got. I told you.
0: What's that? I told you uh, standing on the glass at the Heritage Classic. At the Heritage Classic, Classic, yep that they were, this was a possibility. And I kind of knew then that weekend being in Edmonton, that the Oilers had sort of had it on their radar already and had begun to, uh, go through the process and, you know, try and figure out what their options might be. I think in a perfect world, they would have avoided that. And, and certainly something like that wouldn't have happened where it's a tough spot for Jay Woodcroft. Like. Think about how he feels last night watching Leon Dreisaitl get a four-point game. At some point, these two best players in the world are going to absolutely go streaking, right? And Connor McDavid's not going to stay at 126th in league scoring for very long. They're going to take off. And now you get to watch someone else do it with a team where you only had one full season, a 643 points percentage, and you won multiple rounds in the playoffs. Like, that's a tough tough spot to be in and so I certainly feel for him but at the same time uh, as Ken Holland said today I'm in Toronto at the GM meetings he said this is a this is a results-oriented business you you win you get results you keep your job and when you don't changes are made and and that's what happens
1: what uh what do we know about Chris Knobloch why was he the desired replacement
0: well I think there's you know, a lot of people pointed to this yesterday and and Connor McDavid sort of had his back up against the wall of, Hey, look, uh, look at this. They're bringing in McDavid's junior coach. It's been a long time ago. Like I've got relationships. You've got relationships with people that we've worked with 10 years ago. It's not exactly like the back of your hand. You move on, you do different things. McDavid got to a whole different level in his life. Knobloch has been through a lot of different things since Erie, Uh, AHL head coach for a long time, NHL assistant coach in Philly. Um, Like, there's been lots of stuff that's gone on in that 10 years since. And I really don't think his familiarity and relationship with McDavid is the reason why he ended up being the guy. I tweeted it, and people were saying, Hey, you're carrying water for the Oilers. Like, it's a dead, like, dead straight fact that. Jeff Jackson, their CEO, is obviously a big believer in um, in Chris Knobloch because look at the list of clients that Jeff Jackson has had when he was an agent and look at all of them that ended up playing for Knobloch in Erie or in Hartford. Like It's way beyond McDavid. It's Connor Brown. It's Alex Debrinkit. It's all these other guys yep. that don't even have ties to the Oilers organization that – he'd have a real good sense of how you run a team, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. He'd be hearing the complaints directly from his clients, and so he would understand what this guy can do and bring. And I think the easiest way to explain what that is is, from people that know him well, is Chris Knobloch makes you feel good about your game. And for a team that was kind of lost, I don't think broken. I think there's a big difference between the two. If you're lost, maybe... Someone that makes you confident can help you find it again
1: so the uh, basically what you're saying is the uh, Connor Mcdavid soft influence and uh, LeBron Jamesing the others you're saying there's a little bit too much being made of that
0: way too much i don 't really think there's any influence of any measurable or um, you know, actionable level is what I would say. Okay. Okay.
1: A few more with uh, Frank Saravalli before he uh, boards and uh, gets ready to head over to Sweden for the NHL's global series. Um, You were at, as you, as you mentioned, you were at NHL GM's meetings in Toronto. What, uh, what did we find out about the Vancouver Canucks and a potential contract extension for Elias Pettersson?
0: Uh, they're trying. They're chipping away at it. It's a story that's kind of, I think, simmering under the radar because everyone heard what Pedersen said at, you know, the NHL European Media Tour, and that was, I'm in no rush. I'm perfectly comfortable, you know, sort of waiting. And I think because of that, some people assumed that there would be no deal and that this might wait until after the season. And and that might end up being the case, but they're certainly trying from the Canucks perspective. The quote from Patrick Alvin to me today was uh, we're hoping to get something done sooner rather than later. And so he met again recently with um, Pedersen's Swedish agent who was in van and they're going to try and chip away at this. It's two things going to be, Uh, really expensive. And I think the real interesting part, whether it's short or long is how do you structure it? Um, Do you, do you try and get as much term as possible? What does that end up costing? And if it is medium term, are you comfortable with what is now the best play, not best player, the leading scorer in the league? Um, Are you comfortable signing a deal like that? Knowing that, you know, five years from now you might be in a different spot.
1: Okay. Uh, what else have we heard from GM's meetings? You were tweeting about uh, potential changes being looked at for three-on-three overtime. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, it was a really unexpected change or at least topic of conversation today because they were talking about the idea of uh, some managers, someone clearly had tabled this, um, that they don't like the way that players are looping back constantly, dropping the puck, and then flying into the zone on on three-on-three because they feel like it's kind of gaming the system. You see it all the time even in the zone where they'll go back and and regroup in the neutral zone and then try and come back in again if they don't find seams or a play or sequence that they Mm -hmm. like. And so they're talking about either um, you know putting in some rules where essentially it's like half-court basketball. Once you cross the red line, you can't come back out again or maybe even the blue line. And the other thing that they're talking about is um, the potential of a shot clock. I think that's way more unlikely. But count me among the people that are sitting here going, like, why do we need – does anyone really – do we have to change this? Like, is it actually broken? And if we're really concerned about a lack of results or changing overtime, like, let's just talk about increasing the length of overtime to 10 minutes because you'd be in a spot where 93 to 95% – of the games would be ending there based on the expected goals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and if they were to do that, it seems like it would be a whole lot easier to end games than, I don't want to say gimmicky, but all of a sudden you're doing over and back rules in, in hockey. It would just seem very, very strange. So I'm, I'm with you. That seems far more sensible to do a, just do extended, even go to seven and a half minutes if you have to, and you're going to get no, I mean, way less cool. That's a hokey
0: games. number. I'm like, I'm, I just, I'm like, with you. I think 10 makes the most sense. How hard to from, like, five to seven and a half to 10? Like, you don't have to play the whole 10. Someone just do something. Yeah, win the game. Anything yeah. else? Anything else from GM's and, meetings? And by the way, yeah. if you don't win the game in 10 minutes, no one should get any points. So you just, like, eliminate let's the really, shootout? Yeah, let's no shootout. The game ends and no one gets any points. I think I'm You're the only. I think I'm the making it there.
1: I'm the only person left who enjoys the shootout. I think on Earth, I don't think there's a single person on Earth who enjoys the shootout except why what,
0: what part about it do you like? They're even gaming that.
1: I I enjoy. I I like the I like the one-on-one drama that goes into it. I don't. I don't know why I do, but I I think I'm the only person left who enjoys it.
0: Okay. Well, at least you admit it.
1: Yeah, I don't – and maybe one day I won't, but for now I'm still staunchly in favor of the shootout to – if if you want to lessen its impact, I'm all for it, which means, yeah, add 10 minutes of three-on-three three for sure um, and make it so that we get even fewer of them. I still – and then maybe it makes them even more exciting if you get to that point. Anyway, I digress. Anything I
0: guess. It, I don't know. No, it's never going to be exciting for me, and the issue is when you have a team that loses the shootout, like – you didn't accomplish what your goal was and you skate off and you don't really even feel bad about yourself. You're just like, you just shrug. It's like, what was that?
1: <laughs> really yeah. All right. Well, we got the point. That was all right. Uh, before we let you go, I know you got a board. What, uh, what else, if anything from GM's meetings that was uh, of note to you, Frankie?
0: Um little surprised that they don't have a draft set up and format and location yet. Uh, that's kind of coming up in June. Um, they're definitely changing the format tweets, after this year, right? Definitely after this year, but potential for this year. Okay. And the fact that they haven't sorted out a venue yet and location and, and how they're going to do it to me is pretty surprising. Okay. Um, I would say other than that, I was mostly just looking forward to talking to Craig Conroy today, uh, but he had the, he had the veteran move. he, at the GM meetings, everyone kind of hangs out by the elevator when, you know, those guys are walking out of the room and leaving, and they always have a flight to catch. And he came out with his uh, his luggage, which is, uh, again, it's a, ah. it highlights the ah. fact that you actually have a, a flight to catch. And then uh, I think he even had a little bodyguard with him. If I'm not mistaken, I, it, it blurs together, but I think Joe Sackick was the guy that was – uh, ready to stiff arm any media that wanted to get in the way. So uh, well played by the uh, still new GM. I thought, I thought maybe you
1: were talking about Peter Hanlon as his bodyguard. Cause that guy lifts weights. So could very easily be the bodyguard.
0: Uh, but I like yep, that. And I don't. So <laughs> that's abundantly obvious.
1: Fly safe. Enjoy Stockholm. Hey, we'll talk to you next week.
0: Sounds
1: good. Have a good one. Uh, Frank Saravalli joining us as he does every Tuesday here on Flames Talk. Lots there from Zadorov to Woodcroft in for Knobloch, Elias Pedersen, and three on three overtime. All that uh, with Frank Saravalli. And uh, he joins us every Tuesday for South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com.
0: You're locked on Talk, Only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, it's time
1: to go inside hockey on this Tuesday for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op Wine Spirits Beer today at Steinberg. And look, Aaron Vickers is Ooh. with us from NHL.com. Hello, Vic.
2: Patrick, what's shaking, buddy? Not much,
1: not much. Good conversation with uh, Frank Saravalli to kick off the hour. And uh, now I want to have a conversation about Jonathan Huberto because another conversation about Jonathan Huberto because here they are Tuesday night in Montreal and they're doing something else to try to get his game going. And that something else this time around is putting them on a line with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman. That'll make it the third center that Huberdo's played with in 15 games this year. He's also played with under and Lindholm. Five and a half?
2: Four and a half. It'd have to be four and a half. Yeah. Because you could still go Dubé. You could still go Sharon Golovich in theory. You could do Ruzichka. Ruzichka. So that's three more options.
1: Four and a half sounds okay. like a good... I'm going
2: to jot that down for future reference.
1: Okay. This is number three, and we're 15 games into the season.
2: Would you go over or under? Or... Are you gonna wait and see how this one unfolds?
1: Yeah, but let, give me a. Let me see how to let you breathe this on this one. Goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is another thing that they have done to try to jumpstart number ten's game. He's played with Lindholm. He's played with Kadri. He's been on power play one. He's been dropped to power play two. He got benched for an entire third period a week ago in Tuesday's game against Nashville. Like they've done, they've done some things to try to get this get this guy going, and yet nothing really has succeeded to anywhere close to the level that they need it to succeed. They don't need Jonathan Huberto to get three points a game. They need Jonathan Huberto to be one of their best offensive players, though, and he is not. He is not one of their offensive leaders. He has not been one of their offensive leaders for anywhere near a consistent enough basis going back to his first game last season. So now it'll be... Coleman and Backlund as a line with Huberdeau in this game Tuesday night. I asked uh, Blake Coleman for our Flames pregame show about his thoughts about playing with Huberdeau and and what the line's trying to accomplish. I thought Blake gave a, a really good answer and some good insight in that regard.
2: I think the idea is, you know, me and backs are pretty, pretty simple players, two way guys. Um, you kind of know what you are going to get each night, and I think you know. Johnny's probably looking for a little stability in his game right now, and um, hopefully we can provide a little bit of that. And then he's obviously got a lot of offensive upside that he can bring to our line. And um, you know, I think you know sometimes you just need that uh, simplicity to get your to get your house in order. And and I think uh, you know we all feel very comfortable playing with each other. And um, you know, I think that it's it's a, a good fit,
1: and I think we'll have. Uh, a lot of success um, assuming we all play the right way and and continue that. So as much as I don't love the timing of when they're deciding to do this, because I, I I do think that they've got a, or they had an opportunity to roll with some pretty consistent lines here and then juggled up all four of them again, off the Ottawa loss. But as you, as you've said, they've got to get him going. Right. And that, That's the biggest reason why you're okay with it, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's your highest paid player. He should be your highest offensive performer based on history. And this goes back prior to an 115-point season. This isn't just, look, he scored 115 points once. He should be doing it again. No, the expectation isn't 115 points, but it should be a point per game. He's not at it. He wasn't at it last year. His four years prior in Florida, prior to the trade that sent him to the Calgary Flames, he was a point-per-game-plus player. He needs to get back to that. And if you can put him with your two fixers in Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman, they bring out the best of whoever their third line mate is. It's been proven time and time. again. death taxes and Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman and that third player possession monsters. It's just the way it's been. Mm-hmm. So if you can get Jonathan Huberto back to any semblance of his game, and and I'll understand the criticism of, okay, you want to spark him. And you want him to be your best offensive player. So you're putting him with two guys that are typically more of a 40 to 50 point caliber. But at the end of the day, Backlund and Coleman spend a hell of a lot of time in the offensive end by nature of how they defend, how they play through the neutral zone. And more offensive zone time is exactly what Jonathan Huberto needs. Jonathan Huberto isn't a guy that's going to create a whole bunch off the rush like Johnny Gaudreau. He needs that offensive zone time possession. And two of your best players... In that regard, Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman.
1: I didn't mind them when they played together last year. In fact, I thought they were fairly solid in there. Do you
2: want to roll out the stats on that or do you want me to? Because well, I've what, got them queued up as what well. Do
1: you, what do you have there?
2: I have of Flames lines last season to play at least 170 minutes together. Actually, I think I dropped it to 160 and didn't update because I'm lazy. Huberto Backlund-Coleman, 56.9% expected goals for third best amongst lines that played at least 160 minutes on the Flames last year. Huberto Backlund-Coleman, 55, 55, pardon me, 0.9%, Corsi, fourth best on the team. So one of the top combos the Flames deployed last season.
1: So last season when they played together, um, and when they played together at five on five, they played just uh, finishing, pulling it up, because I get... I, I know you got to get the guy going. So they played 177 right. minutes and 27 seconds together at a five on five last year. Yeah, 55, 56% was their uh, shot share. They outchanced the opposition 88 to 65 when they were on the ice, including 34 to 25 at high danger. They did all that with a pretty much even offensive zone start. So they were a pretty effective line when they were together, which speaks to your point. Those numbers are very much in line with whatever line Backlund and Coleman are on right. whoever they're waking unless is. it's
2: Mangiapane, and then it goes through and the then
1: roof then it goes through the roof yep. Uh, but they they are very typically a very strong line regardless of who that that third winger is my i guess my question is i'm i'm not confused as to why they're doing it i'm i don't necessarily love the timing but i understand what they're doing and what they're trying to do what if it doesn't work <laughs> and that is my that's my biggest worry or that's my worries the wrong word, but that's kind of like my biggest what next question is, okay, sure, they're a good possession line, but what if Huberto's still a 55-point player playing with Backlund and Coleman and it doesn't help his power play game and all that type of stuff? Then what do you do? And you're kind of running out of options in terms of things to try to get this guy going. You're kind of running out of options to what your next move is to jumpstart Huberto, because you could throw out, well, play him with player X. Maybe you play him with center Y. Well, he's running out of players to play with. Agreed. So I can think of only two other things they haven't tried yet. So I have two.
2: One is 100% tongue-in-cheek. The other one might be somewhere along the same lines as what you're thinking. So do you want me to go, or do you want to take the floor first?
1: Well, what what's
2: your tongue-in-cheek? Try him down the middle.
1: Okay, well, I, I, I hate <laughs> you for that.
2: I mean, he hasn't worked on left. He didn't work on right. Why not slop him down the middle and see what happens? That is completely tongue-in-cheek. Text line 960-960. Please don't get on me for trying to make Jonathan Huberto a center. Option two, because I think you've pretty much run out of internal options. Go get Anthony Declair out of San Jose.
1: So I have two. One of them is... Not specifically Anthony Duclair. But mine is specifically Anthony Duclair. Mine is make a deal to bring somebody in for him. And he would be the first guy that comes to mind for many, understandably so, because yep. of the success. Six... Why not go get Sam Bennett?
2: Well, I mean, the asking price might be a little high there for my liking. Could
1: be. Florida Panthers want to win a Stanley Cup. So... San
2: Jose, not necessarily the same aspirations. And if I'm not mistaken, Duclair has something like five points in 14 games. So maybe there's something to be facilitated there.
1: Would he not be their leading scorer with five points in 14
2: games? Do you mean San, San Jose's, Jose's or Calgary's?
1: Uh, San Jose's leading okay. scorer. Okay.
2: I just wanted the, for clarification's sake on he that. He
1: literally is their third leading scorer with five points. Well, I mean... Hurdle's got 10 and 15. Fabian Zetterland's got six. And then Duclair's got five. Tied for so maybe
2: they, maybe they can't afford to lose him from a production standpoint? <laughs>
1: well, San Jose's trying to do... They're the more interested in Macklin Celebrini
2: than they are Anthony Duclair. To be perfectly honest, no... Disrespect, Anthony Duclair, they're gunning for a top pick.
1: There, there's there's that, and I think that, that is along the same lines as me saying, go and get somebody specifically tailored to play with Huberdeau, and Duclair would be one of those guys. Right. They had lots of success together on a line with Bennett that year in Florida. I don't think you're getting Barkov. I don't think you're getting Bennett. So... Duclair seems somewhat realistic for a guy that you could go get. And I'm sure there are other players that fit a similar mold that haven't necessarily played with Huberto before, but you would scout and say that could be a good fit. So that is one thing they haven't done. Right. And that is go and acquire a player specifically for him. How do you feel about them doing that? Knowing that oh, we're also having I'm a all conversation, in on it. but we're also having a conversation about them pivoting and rebuilding.
2: I'm all in on it. Hey, if you're gonna, you've only got so many shots at the dartboard to jumpstart Jonathan Huberto. He's your ten. He's your eighty-four million dollar investment. And if I've got to sacrifice a third or a fourth round pick to see if that's the solution to getting him going, I'm willing to to bite that bullet. I'm willing to pay that price. Your fourth round pick has about a twenty-ish percent chance. I'm ballparking it. Twenty-ish percent chance of cracking the NHL one day most don't even get signed I shouldn't say most don't even get signed because most do but most don't make it to the NHL the overwhelming majority Anthony Duclair was on his right wing when he had 115 points again this isn't about returning Jonathan Huberto to being a hundred plus point player but he's got to be better than seven points in 14 games and if Duclair and you I mean you consult Jonathan Huberto on it you just don't do it blindly but it's like hey what if we went and did this? How would you feel? Would it make you more comfortable, equally as comfortable, less comfortable? And based on that response, if it's oh yeah, I, I really enjoyed playing with him. He really helped me out. He got me a lot of those hundred and fifteen points in one way or another. Him returning to my line might give me my mojo back. Go full Austin Powers. Who the hell would the center be then? Who's your most Sam Bennett esque center? Nazem Kadri?
1: Probably, but we've seen that Huberto and Kadri don't play really well together.
2: I, I give it a shot regardless.
1: You think a fourth would get Declare?
2: I don't know what the asking is, but I can't no, imagine went, it's over.
1: From, he went from Florida to San Jose for a fifth and Steven of, Lorenz.
2: Yeah. So, like, I mean, the ask and the investment isn't dramatic from a San Jose Sharks standpoint. If you're able to upgrade your pick by playing Anthony Duclair for 20 games, you're going to do it.
1: The other thing they haven't done is healthy scratch him.
2: Well, I mean, I, yeah, I thought we would naturally get there. So, yeah, actually, I had three on my list. I didn't actually physically write that one down because I assumed it was on your list. Which it is. And that's... After this Backlund-Coleman experiment, I think it's the last internal option you have. Because, again, you run through the list. This is his third center he's been on. He, the amount of right wingers he's had is probably floating around the four or five range, I would imagine. So, what else do you do from an internal standpoint, other than that? It, it seems like it's not productive to me to put him on your fourth line because that is technically still an option. I don't think. I think you're better off going the healthy scratch route than the fourth line route. To be perfectly honest,
1: I um, do. I I do worry that. I don't know if a healthy scrap like I this isn't a young man you need to wake the hell up like I don't think that I think Jonathan Huberto's wide awake oh yeah I don't think this is a guy who is complacent I don't think this is a guy who he's not a me first guy he's he's not he's not um he's not skirting the details to try to be like it's he's not blowing not up your working. system.
2: He's not playing one. He's not being an individualistic. He looks one of borderline
1: 12. broken, and I don't know if a healthy scratch fixes that. I think a healthy scratch fixes when you're a lazy hockey player and you're, you're doing things counterproductive to the team because you're being lazy. I think then a healthy scratch works if you're going to send a message. But I don't know if jo- Jonathan Huberto doesn't need a wake-up call. He's already been benched, And he knows better than you, me, and you listening combined that he had the worst point drop-off in NHL. He knows how awesome it was one year and how difficult it was the next year carrying into this year. So I don't think he's in need. So I don't know if a healthy scratch is... Productive at all. I worry about it making it even worse because he already knows that it's not working right now and sitting and watching for a few games. I don't, I don't know how it helps.
2: This is from my dumb eye, but I'm going to give you the scenario where it could. And it's just from an educational eye in the sky vantage point. Look, because you know, going back from the heritage classic, I know from sitting ringside that player X has half a second to make up his mind what he's gonna do with the puck and he's gonna pass it through three bodies to get it to a guy that isn't in position yet and that's literally how fast you have to react. any anybody listening who sat in the lower bowl maybe in the corner behind the net what have you knows that these are plays that happen in fractions of a second but if you sit where I sit in the press box up top you you're the same way the game happens so slow so it's so easy for me to sit there and pick apart, oh, this player should have done that to that. How did? He, how in the world did he not see the third guy trailing high when there's two bodies between them? I, I can't believe this player didn't make that play. Well, you have half a second and you're going through two bodies and you can't see anything on the other side. But I wonder if... I wonder if you can get Jonathan Huberto up top from my idiot vantage point where the game is incredibly slow and go, okay, maybe if I approach this zone entry this way and I've got a guy there or here. You can see the puzzle pieces a lot slower. And I know they do video and I know they do all that, but I wonder if there just isn't a reset from up top where everything happens. So, And we've heard a lot of young players say it.
1: This is a guy that did this stuff naturally for a decade plus that the game could... That, that he slowed down the game and one of his... so One of his be, fortes
2: was slowing down the game.
1: So would... Going and watching upstairs? I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's worth... At this point, you can make the argument it's worth a try. I just...
2: It works for kids. It works for rookies. It works for second-year players that maybe need to take a step back and have a look. I don't know if it works for a 10-year, 11-year veteran. Yeah. That's that's produced at the rate he's produced. But I'm running out of things on my board to to try.
1: I do think if you can get... Like, if you can find a... Decent asking price for a Duclair or somebody else that you talk. Oh, to I would Jonathan, do that first. Yeah, then then I would think about doing that. Um, let's read a few texts at nine sixty nine sixty on this conversation. Um, this says, I'm not sure they need another player who isn't performing. Duclair, five points with the Sharks. I mean, it's with the Sharks. Do you know that that might be the lowest scoring team in the history of the NHL? Let's five points. He might as well be on pace for 200 with uh, San Jose.
2: The San Jose Sharks have played 15 games. They've scored. No, that can't be right.
1: No, it is. They've scored 18 goals. They are the lowest scoring. What? They are ridiculous. They're like 1.15 goals per game. Correct. So please don't tell me that (laughs) DeClaire isn't performing when they're the lowest scoring team ever. They goal
2: differentials minus 49 through 15 games.
1: That is correct. 1.2 goals per game. The next next lowest scoring team is more than a goal a game higher than San Jose. From 1.2 to 2.31 in Washington, who's the second lowest scoring team in the NHL.
2: I feel like I'm being punked right now. I mean I understand
1: it. There's They're a, not a great team. I'm trying I'm just I never, looking back over the last few years.
2: I Anaheim was
1: guessed. 2.21 that's the lowest yet that I've seen about 5 years ago. Uh, Detroit was 2 points a game when they were a 17 win team before the pandemic hit. San Jose is is cruising on one of the lowest scoring most inept teams to ever play the sport. So Please do not, or please take Anthony Duclair's point totals with a slight grade. That 22-win Avalanche team in 16-17, 2.01 goals per game. Significantly higher than San Jose. Um, I
2: was going to say almost double, but...
1: San Jose is puke. The last team to have a goals... They're trying hard, Patrick. A goals four per game under two was the 2014-15 season when the 23-win Buffalo Sabres had 1.87 goals per game. Which is still 0.67 goals per game more, still half than the a goal higher. Sharks. Woof. Few texts nine sixty nine sixty. Lots of people suggesting send Zadorov to San Jose for Declare. I would much rather get a. I would much rather trade you'd... something lesser for Declare yeah. or somebody like that and maximize my Zadorov return personally. I agree. Uh, this says get Huberto his Pelche back. No point in shaking things up until you see how he is with his son again. Uh, that's, that's funny. I mean, I, there's, some, there's probably something to that. They play I think it's well more big
2: brother, little brother. Myself, no, it's but his son. Fair enough.
1: Uh, the guy texting in about the player like, whoa, my bad.
2: No, you're, and I don't even i don't even fault you, Dexter, because I was not made aware of that stat until just now as well. You were blown
1: away. You're like, no, this is a typo. I had to step away from the mic for a second. I'm like, wait, that's... I- the only reason I know is because I've been morbidly fascinated by the whole thing. How
2: many Sharks games have you watched this year? And the answer has got to be at least one.
1: Uh, at least two I've watched. They're Did you watch Oilers San I'd Jose? I watched the Euler's oh, okay. one, but I'd watched probably parts of three others, so... All in, probably about two full sharks games. They're they're hilarious. If you think the team that played in game eighty two at the dome was bad, this is new level. Like they're tripping on themselves.
2: Got, Every got a pat, real D five like what? Tomas Tomas
1: Hurdle is like, what have I done? I don't. I never understood why he signed there to begin with. If you want to win, like you're like this team's gonna be bad for a long time. Why are the Sharks signing Hurdle? And why is Hurdle signing there? But I guess if you like Northern California, it's wonderful. But uh, this says, with all due respect to West, Yeah. I I wish. I wish. I do, too. I wish it was West. (laughs) With all due
2: respect (laughs) to... San Jose Sharks and Aaron Vickers, the two teams getting the biggest beating here today.
1: With all due respect to Aaron, a $10.5 million player should have the vision and not need to see the game from above. Uh, this says you, got- uh, you know what hold on yep.
2: yes you're right a 10.5 million dollar player should not need that but Jonathan Huberto is not playing like a 10.5 million dollar player
1: yep uh, I, I agree this says we keep talking about whether or not he's broken, but if you take a look at his career stats, he averages fifty-five points per season. You can't evaluate a player based on one breakout season. If you take a look at the entire body of work, he's giving us what his averages. I call his Powell average. First that.
2: of all, is seventy-two over an eighty-two game schedule? Seventy-two points over an eighty-two. I did the math last segment. Thank
1: you for that. That is also that's important. So over an eighty-two game season, he's an average seventy-two point. Player. If you want to include his rookie year, his second year, where he's still finding his way, but here is here is the. Here's the area where I always push back. Not on average, but for four straight seasons, his point total was higher than his games played total. He was a point-per-game player in the four seasons leading up to the trade. And yes, the fourth season was a 115-point breakout season that I think we're fairly confident is not going to be repeated again. But the three seasons prior, based on games played, there was a pandemic year, there was a 56-game season, and there was also a 90-plus-point season in there He was more points in games played in four straight seasons. So I call foul on he's a 55-point player because he's not. Your rebuttal, fair. My rebuttal, fair. What we've seen is a drastic drastic drop in a player's effectiveness. This says, "Gents, you know what it is? Huberto got his money, and he's on coast, and he don't give a flying bleep uh, what you armchair GMs think of him. Y'all ain't NHLers, stick to your mics.
2: That's literally what we're doing.
1: We're just talking about a guy who is getting paid ten and a half million dollars to get you about half a point per game. That's all we're doing. I hope that Huberdeau doesn't care what we think, but he also isn't helping the team very. I actually don't even know why I read that text. That was one of the most pointless texts of all time. Um, I thought it was gonna. I thought there was gonna be a point to it, but there wasn't. Um, this somebody agrees with you. Putting Huberdeau Whoa. in the press box is exactly what you do he'll be able to see the game gain confidence and a bit of time to take a breath can
2: you print that one off and frame it
1: sure um i think you should try to get huberto going on the power play by switching sides so there's a one-time option on the other side and he can start dishing from the right side of the ice uh this says the whole team has been bad not just huberto pat i agree with pretty much everything you've said today Yes, I agree. It's not just a Huberdeau problem. The the problem is Huberdeau is their $10.5 million highest paid player and the guy whose effectiveness has dropped the most dramatically over the last couple of years. No, Go ahead,
2: sorry. No, I'm just trying to rapidly pull it up. Here, I'll I'll
1: read another text while you do that.
2: Well, Uh, I mean, I've got it here. Calgary's 27th in the NHL in goals per game at 2.64. So, I mean, while they're torching the San Jose Sharks, it's not like everybody's lighting the lamp on the Calgary Flames, except Jonathan Huberto. And it's a riddle and a puzzle as to why he's not producing because nobody's really producing.
1: Noah says, guys, we need to accept the fact is never going to be the player here in Calgary that he was in Florida. No chance he'll ever come back to what he was unless he's traded to a different team. And we all know that's not happening for the foreseeable future. Um, This says from Matt and Cochran, I still say you staple Huberto to Lindholm and tell Elias to figure it out if he's hoping to cash in on July 1st. Uh, and this says there is one last option you haven't talked about, and that is waivers. The only problem is Huberto's got a full no-move yeah, clause so and not. can block waivers. I mean, I guess if you wanted to go on waivers, I don't know very many players who do, but yeah, when you have a full no-move, you literally can block waivers. They have to come to you and say, hey, can we put you on waivers? And you need to have consent from the player if you have that full no-move clause, which he does. So it's less of an option than it would be with many other players on the team. Absolutely. So
2: technically not an option, which is why we probably didn't explore it. Yeah.
1: That'll do it inside hockey for Calgary co-op. Hello fans. Calgary co-op has refreshed its membership just for you. Now you can shop, save and win with the new Calgary co-op app, download on the Apple store and Google play store. One note for the flames. They have sent Dustin Wolf back to the American hockey league. Um, I, I, he's not. I believe he's still with the team, so he's not going to be playing Tuesday for the Wranglers. An off chance Wednesday he plays for the Wranglers. We'll I could see, see that, but you might. They're going to get in pretty late on Tuesday night. Quick turnaround. Maybe you don't play him Wednesday. Hold him out to the weekend when they're in California, taking on the rain. Might be the way to go, but we'll see. Um, Wranglers play two games at home on Tuesday Wednesday then they're on the road for two games in Ontario Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers my name is Pat Steinberg and that'll wrap us up on the sports drive this hour thanks to Cam and Taylor our producers sports drive for Calgary Lock and Safe save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe now just fourteen fifty. dollars or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com